Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Political Project. I'm here with my internet best friend, Katie Bell. We uh, have never met in person, but we are great internet friends. And we went to high school together, and now we're friends, and it's fine. Um, but she's here in The Political Project. I thought she'd have some really cool insights on her own political beliefs and how they've shaped her into the woman she is today. So Katie, if you want to introduce yourself a little. Yeah. Um, so obviously my name's Katie. I don't know for those of you listening, if like you went to high school with Martha or if you're a college friend, um, my maiden name is Anabnet. So I'm Katie Anabnet. And then I got married. Now I'm Katie Bell. Um, I was a teacher for four years before I entered early retirement. Um, and I had twins over last, well, I guess it was last summer. Yeah. There'll be seven months tomorrow. Um, so I'm taking a little break from teaching and, um, raising them because childcare is just too expensive. So very expensive. Uh, yeah. I, um, taught in Granger for one year, Granger, Indiana. Um, and then I taught my last three years, I was, um, in the Chicago public schools on the South side in Englewood. Um, and so a lot of like where I come from politically, I kind of did like a pretty big 180 after I left Granger. Um, and so a lot of the things that I saw and experienced in Chicago kind of changed my beliefs. Yeah, definitely. So those of you who don't know Granger, I never know how to describe it to people who are not from Granger. So I don't know if you have any like good insights. It's just kind of like a bougie Indiana suburb where like everybody buys like coach purses and like goes to the mall and just like spends money. I don't know, like what it's very, it's also very white. And I would say pretty and like very affluent yeah like I would say like middle class but probably like upper middle class um, yeah I mean nice place but not very diverse and kind of like I would say pretty conservative pretty republican which there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with but it's pretty like everyone has pretty similar beliefs I would say Yes, and we'll touch on this later I think it's because of the lack of experience people there have with people who don't think the way that they think. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Um, so what were you saying about teaching in Chicago public schools? Or like, what do, you, what do you think as well? So we're both from this Granger area and you say that maybe your beliefs didn't really change until you were a public school teacher in Chicago. So what were your beliefs like growing up? Were they super shaped by your family? Did you learn a lot in school that might've changed your mind a little? I was very much um, a like wholehearted Republican and I believed that like people were taking advantage of the system. Um, for those of you listening, I've come a long way. So when I'm speaking about this, this was like me as a 16 year old, I was against same sex marriage. Um, one of my best friends is gay now. So like not that I'm saying like, oh, I know gay people. So like, yeah. I can relate. but like, I just thought that that was just terrible. Um, I thought that you could like pull yourself up by the bootstraps and like achieve the American dream. Um, and a lot of this was shaped by my parents and my, ex a majority of it was my extended family. Um, and m like my dad, did did grow up with nothing and so he was like a modern day success story but um I'm trying to word this the way I want it to come out the right way um he did have to work really hard I guess I'm getting more into like the white privilege thing but he didn't have to work harder because of the color of his skin mm -hmm. and that was like a really 
tough pill for me to swallow when people were talking about like white privilege and um, white supremacy and like all of that stuff. Um, I would always use my dad as an example of somebody who could um, pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get to work because when he graduated, he had $250,000 of debt that he paid off um, from student loans. And so I just used him as like my American success story. Um, and then when I went to Ball State, it was the same thing. Like I knew that I wanted to teach in the inner city Chicago, which again was very much like white savior of me. Um, and then I was like, well, they just need good teachers there. Like that's why the schools are failing. Um, and then I was rated ineffective there three years in a row when I was rated highly effective in Indiana. And like, I had only taught for four years. So it's not like my philosophy of teaching changed or anything. It was just the kids that I was teaching changed. Um, so, and I think that that's a big problem with the schools in Chicago. They lose really good teachers because of the way that they evaluate teachers. I never got the raise. If you're rated highly effective, you get $2,000 raise. I never got the raise. Um, and so I guess that's kind of where my upbringing was, was like super conservative and everybody just has to work hard and we don't see color. Like, no shit, we don't see color. There is no color in Granger. <laughs> that's honestly very true. I'm like, yeah, and so like, that weren't, yeah treat everyone the way that you want to be treated which like is a good message and I think my parents intentions were pure like I don't think that they were intentionally trying to like not see black people as like people of color I think that they just didn't ever see them so they didn't know what to do so they just said just treat everyone the same um which in turn is like cultural appropriation and anyway um I've been doing a lot of work on this this year that was one of my new year's resolutions so I've been well, reading a lot about no, that's so important. Um, I feel like that's what we, we bonded over that. And I feel like we had a conversation too about our dads because my dad as well, he's a doctor and your dad's a lawyer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yep. my dad was in the military, so he didn't have um, debt. They paid for his medical school, which is awesome. He had a little bit of student loans, but same thing. He grew up very poor. He grew up spending the money that he made on his paper route, like ordering clothes out of a Sears catalog because his parents couldn't afford a lot of clothes for him. Um, yeah. And he was pretty, he was pretty conservative um, growing up. And I think I was, I don't know, I was kind of conservative. I don't know. I don't really remember my political ideology, but honestly, I would say my brother came out as gay and we were all like, oh, like this is our brother who we literally are obsessed with. Like he's the love of our life. He's amazing. And so I think that kind of helped open my dad's eyes to gay marriage, same-sex marriage, all of that. Um, and also just like, the fact that people in my family have like had abortions and just like these things have happened and like we're still moral people for having these beliefs so also my dad has done like a big 180 and is very much a democrat now which is a really proud accomplishment for me um but you're you're you identify right now as a republican is that what you okay i i no shame like not the Republicans who are storming the Capitol. Like I'm somebody who is like very much opposed to that. And I feel like yeah. they are really tarnishing the name of like what it is to be a Republican and calling themselves patriots. And like those acts need to be condemned. And I feel like the longer Republicans don't condemn them, I'm not sure how long I can associate with that party. But yes, in the most recent election, I identified as a Republican. Um, and I tend to be more moderate, but I feel like with the two-party system, you can't ever mm -hmm. say that you're a moderate. You like 
both sides just jump on you and they're like, well, which side yeah. do you lean? Which way do you lean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's frustrating. And I think as well in, in New York, I don't remember what it's like in Indiana, but I have a friend who's an independent and as an independent in New York state, you're not allowed to vote in the primaries. So he wasn't allowed to like cast his vote for who he thought like Joe Biden versus other people. Like, I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, why are we encouraging this two-party system? That so clearly doesn't work. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even, I mean, if I had to identify myself, I'd be a Democrat, but I still don't feel like that's like the party that I most identify with. And it's just the two-party system, but we could do an entire episode yeah. on that shit show. Well, and I like use this example all the time. Like there are things that my husband, who is the love of my life does that I don't agree with 100% of the time. So for people on both sides to just blindly love Donald Trump or love Joe Biden or love AOC, like I don't agree with anybody that 100% of the time. You know what I mean? Well, what do you, what do you think as well about people who like stan politicians? Like AOC is the perfect example as well as Donald Trump, like merch, memes, everything. Like these people are obsessed with these politicians. I'm like, I think AOC is great. I think RBG is great. Donald Trump, I'm not a fan, but I understand. Like, what do you think about that kind of unhealthy obsession with politicians? I think it's bizarre. It's really weird. And like, I don't know when it started because I know a lot of people want to say it started in 2016 with Donald Trump, but there were like a lot of rap songs, um, about Obama in 2008. Mm -hmm. And then, um, like, I know people, I don't know if you would remember this on Facebook, you could like make your profile picture, like remember his change pro his change picture. Oh yeah. 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 It was like Like, the famous. Yeah. Yeah. People were like doing that too. And like, I follow AOC. I think she's personable. I don't agree with her politically, but I liked, um, she did a really good story on her, um, getting the vaccine and everything. And so I watched that. You might've been the one that recommended it to me. Oh, thank you. But I watched it and like, I like her. And like the other day she was eating ice cream and playing with her dog. Like, I think that that's cool to see that side of politicians that like they're Mm -hmm. human. But I just think being obsessed with anyone like that is weird. Unless it's I agree. Kelly, the Notre Dame head football coach. <laughs> then it's yes. okay. If you guys didn't know, uh, don't you have your own podcast, like sports related? Yeah. Yeah. I do a podcast for Notre Dame football. Okay. So if anyone is a Notre Dame football fan, I'll, I'll like link it in here because she, she loves it. Follow her on Twitter too. Honestly, even if you aren't in the sports, she has some funny tweets. Um, but I agree. And I, I do think it's nice to see, I think it's very bizarre. And that's why we talked about how I'm like interested in politics. And if I ever wanted to be a politician, I post the dumbest shit on my Instagram. Okay. I post selfies where I'm literally like this, like I, I do the dumbest shit. It's going to be fascinating to see people of our age, like become the president. Like when we're like 65 and like someone that like graduated in our high school class is, is the president. I just don't understand because I mean now we see like tweets of celebrities and stuff like too like oh they said the n-word like five years ago oh they were saying all this shit five years ago or whatever it was like that's going to be the same thing for politicians and so I gotta I gotta a lot of people's privacy will be um invaded especially like people who have sent like intimate things to each other like I think that that is because like obviously like the boomers aren't doing that most of them but like people our age are. And I feel like that that is gonna, like people will become hacked. 
And I think that a lot of stuff like that's going to get out. Well, what makes me nervous too is like the dumb stuff that I tweet on my Twitter. Like I have a personal Twitter that's literally dumb stuff. And then I have like my professional Twitter. I'm just like, what if like, I don't think it would be you, but like, what if someone else ran it from our high school? Like TMZ was like, Martha's running for office. We'll pay you a thousand dollars. If you send us like her most like raunchy or like yeah wild tweets I'm like oh please don't sell me out high school classmates this is kind of similar but I read the Jessica Simpson memoir and she had people in her circle that were like selling stories to people and um, she like couldn't figure out who it was so anyway and she's just like Jessica Simpson like she's supposed to be like kind of the stupid like blonde bombshell imagine people who are running for office that are supposed to be like you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, just like very on top of it. Like very, yeah. Like put together. Yeah. Well, that's, I probably shouldn't be at them because I'm not very put together, but Hey, we're, we're just, we're trying, we're doing the best we can. Um, so tell me more about the differences, but that you saw in teaching between Granger where we're from and Chicago, you touched on it a little bit, but if you have more expertise, so when I was hired in Granger, I was hired completely on the spot. And I could do whatever I wanted. Like as long as I was using the curriculum a little bit, I could do whatever I wanted. The principal never came to check on me. And that's not just the trend at my school. Like that was the trend in our district was that like teachers were just trusted. And as long as your scores were high, like nobody really batted an eyelash. And I taught kindergarten. You could, I think every kid except three had been to some type of formal preschool Half the class had been to pre-K. So I had kids entering kindergarten who were already reading. Um, So I could just do whatever I wanted. Like we got through all the kindergarten stuff by March. So April, May, and June, I started teaching first grade standards, like teaching money. And like, I also never had to submit lesson plans. Like it was just assumed that I did them. And I felt like I did them better because it was something for me. It wasn't like I was Mm -hmm. submitting something for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first year teaching in Granger was really enjoyable. I loved it. I felt like I went to work every day. Like I liked the kids, the kids liked me, they were learning at the end of the year, everybody was on like green. They do like an end of the year evaluation and there's green, yellow, and red. And it's mm-hmm. basically what it sounds like. Green is like, they're doing okay. Yellow means they're struggling and red means like, Hey, there's something really serious going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the middle of the year, I had a few kids on yellow, but by the end of the year, everyone was on green. They went to first grade. I was highly effective and it was like, that was it. Um, I also mm-hmm. was my senior year was nominated for, um, senior of the year in the ball state teachers college. So I'm not trying to like show off, but I no, was, but you're qualified. You're a yeah, damn good teacher. I was a very good teacher. And like, it yeah. was like my life. I worked all the time. I coached basketball too at a middle school. So like I would leave the elementary school, go coach um, basketball from 4.30 to 6.30, and then go back to the elementary school. Like if I had stuff I had to keep working on. Mm-hmm. Like wow. I was like super dedicated. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I got hired at a job in Chicago in Englewood. And my first year, they um, I was hired to teach fourth grade reading. And then the way it's set up, you teach one group reading in the morning, and then you teach another group reading in the afternoon. And then like, obviously when you're not teaching your homeroom, they're with the math teacher. So four days before school started, they said that they misconstrued their numbers 
and I was teaching fourth grade in the morning and fifth grade in the afternoon. And my class sizes were going to be between 36 and 39 students. And I did not have a teacher's aide. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I like at this point trying to stay motivated, I'm like, okay, I'm a good teacher. Like I know what I'm doing. Um, also I think it's worth noting that I, um, was at any given moment, the only white person in my classroom, all of my students were minorities, mostly black. There were a few Hispanics, um, Hispanic students. There is some racial tension. I don't know how familiar everybody is between, um, black people of color and then like Hispanic people of color. So the neighborhoods are very segregated in Chicago. So it wasn't like 50, 50, it was probably like 97% and 3%. Um, and I tried like the whole positive reinforcement because I did that in Granger and it worked. Um, they walked all over me. Like I, it was the worst nine weeks of my life. It was awful. I cried. Also, we had a scripted curriculum and we had to submit unit plans for like the whole nine weeks at the beginning of the quarter and everything had to be scripted out. Everything you were going to say at any given moment. Um, wow. And, yeah. The principal that I had was awesome though. And she was like, look, just submit this because it's like a documentation thing. Um, but just get through the day to day. I promise it gets easier. And back to the documentation thing. Um, I was a part of something called a turnaround school. So my school is the second worst performing school in Illinois. And then, um, this company, I don't want to say their name, but if you look up turnaround schools in Chicago, you'll probably find it. Um, but they basically come in, fire the entire staff, and then hire more qualified teachers. And um, most of these more qualified teachers tend to be white teachers and teachers that don't live in the community. And like, their whole motto is like taking over urban education. And like, that's it sounds like a nice thing, like, oh my gosh, like they're fixing these schools, but really they're like damaging kids. I don't want to say damaging their hearts, but damaging their trust by bringing in, by getting rid of the teachers that they've had and then bringing in all of these new people who don't look like them, who don't talk like them, who don't teach the way that they learn. Um, and the schools in Chicago are pre-K through eighth grade. So some of these like sixth, seventh and eighth graders, like these are the only teachers that they've known. Um, yeah, it worked out for me because I ended up getting hired. And um, so because we were a turnaround school, there were all these boxes that you had to check. So one of them would be like teachers submitting lesson plans. So for that specific principle, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna get these lesson plans done. I, I basically copy and pasted all of them because it was scripted. Why would I like, why reinvent the wheel? So mm -hmm. I would just copy and paste from this terrible scripted curriculum and then submit them and no one ever looked at them. It was like, oh, okay, Katie got her lesson plans in, and that's what matters. Mm -hmm. So then she went through some personal stuff and um, she left where, uh, she left Chicago to go back to where she was from. And that was really hard because she was really good to me. Like she, we would be on the phone at like 830 at night and I'd be crying. Like I have to take a mental health day tomorrow. And she'd be like, you can come, like you have to come in. You can do this, like coaching me through it. And like, she really took an interest in me making sure that I succeeded. So then when she left, she, there were two new principals who came in 
they had a combined six years of teaching experience between the two of them. One taught for four years and then one taught for two years. So I was going into my third year teaching. And for me, it's very hard to take criticism from someone who's been doing something less time than you have, especially she taught in a special ed classroom in a cluster group, which means there's no more than five or six students at one time. So like for you to come into my classroom and do all of these observations and like, tell me what works and doesn't work. You've never ran a general education classroom. So like it's going in one ear out the other. Mm-hmm. And then I would submit the lesson plans and they were never good enough. Or um, why was I copy pasting? Like, because you're making me use this script. And then in the morning, part of my SEL curriculum that I like made up myself was that I would do a novel and we would have a class discussion about it for 15 or 20 minutes while the kids were eating breakfast. And she said, no, they need the minute they walk through the door, they need to be doing work. So I had to have them eat breakfast and then do worksheets, like total busy work worksheets that I wouldn't even grade. Yeah. And then the, her whole thing was like, no minute is wasted. And I'm like, okay, but like, do you do work right when you get to work? Or do you like get your coffee and like kind of ease into it? And like, that was my thing. Nobody gets up, walks through the door and just starts working. So why are we expecting fourth graders to do this? And then I, she told me I couldn't do my SEL um, read alouds unless I typed up the transcript of the book and had the text in front of each kid because they needed to be following along. And I'm like, okay, but my goal, and I understand we want good test scores and stuff, but like, that's not my philosophy. I want them to be lifelong readers and nobody has fallen in love with reading, looking at a typed paper of a Word document. Mm -hmm. So I would type these up, hand them out to the kids. No one would read them. They would all end up in the garbage. It was just a mess. Um, And that's, I guess, why good teachers leave the city. I was rated ineffective all three years because I... If you're only graded based on how many kids leave your class on for a fourth grade grade, like fourth grade reading level. Mm-hmm. So when I would get kids in at a first or second grade level, even if they left at like a third grade reading level, if they weren't at fourth grade, that's a mark against me. Well, I would say 10% of the kids would come in at grade level. So you only have 10 to 15% leaving at grade mm-hmm. level anyway. Um, So the biggest difference is that your hands are tied. Like you can't do what you know is right. You have no professional judgment. The union can only do so much. And if you file a grievance, then your principal's out to get you. It was just awful. And then the same thing, like my last year, we were going through the pandemic. So in March, everything switched to online. And the, like, it's just not equal like what the kids in have and what the kids in Chicago had. And I know they tried to get a modem, but like, I don't know about you. When I got Wi-Fi at my house, I had someone just from Comcast come and plug it in and set it up. Mm -hmm. And it was like 40 bucks. And I was like, I'm not dealing with this. Mm -hmm. They told the parents to pick up modems from the school. Like they can't, they don't know how to set them up. And I'm not saying that like, not everybody could figure it out. I'm just saying the average person doesn't know how to set up Wi-Fi. I don't. And so my principal would be like, well, I don't understand why we gave them a modem. 
Like someone could give me a modem. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Oh my God. I feel like that's like the, one of the biggest things we've seen with the pandemic is the digital divide in education and just how there are so many students. You see it in New York as well and how you were mentioning like breakfast at school. Um, they've had like meal hubs and stuff open while New York City schools have been closed due to the pandemic yeah. uh, because a lot of kids like rely on school to get their food for the day to get their meals. So I just, and seeing, there was like an image that went around like Twitter of kids sitting outside of Taco Bell, I think, like trying to connect on their laptop or their like little iPad or something so they could have Wi-Fi to be able to do their homework. I was like, I mean, whenever I have Wi-Fi issues too, like, I don't know what to do. I just Google it, but I usually have self-service or like minutes or data or whatever to be able to do that, which not everybody has. Or I like call someone to come help me. Right. So it's just, it's not, it's not accessible to everybody. And I think that really affects educational outcomes, which then affects like literally everything else. Yes. So I tried, I got a computer program. It's called MobyMax for anybody who's listening and like is familiar with teaching and it's designed for students who are learning online and they could do it. Like I would create a video, like talking about like point of view. And then I would assign a couple assignments about point of view. And I could see like what questions they missed and stuff like that. Um, and then because the videos were posted, I would just open all of the assignments on Monday and then they weren't due until Sunday at five. And I was told that that's not okay. That students need to be coming to my class for two hours a day, just for reading, two hours. And then they have to go to math for two hours a day at a different time. And that I need to make the curriculum that's paper and pencil, I need to make it accessible online. So I had to create all of these Google forms. Then nobody was filling them out because like, I wasn't really that good with Google until I worked at a school that used Google as its main like thing. In college, we used Outlook. So mm-hmm. um, I was creating all of these Google forms that didn't get used. I was going through the curriculum in these videos that my viewership went from like 50 views a week down to about eight, eight or nine. Um, And I couldn't use a software that was designed for a computer program because someone higher up said I had to do curriculum in the middle of a pandemic. The kids were getting so much more out of like the interactive because like if they got a question wrong, they got a second chance and then it would have, like it did the teaching for me. And I know some people, my principal said that that was lazy to like have the computer do the teaching for me, but it's, it's impossible to have 39 kids submit Google forms look at every single Google form and then give feedback. Like, yeah, it's a lot. I, and I think if you can have it centralized, that just makes sense. But I just think pandemic teaching is horrendous. And anyone I know that it's a teacher, I just feel horrible. And you like, do you miss it? I'm like, hell no, not with what's going on right now. Maybe when life gets back to normal, then I'll be like, yeah, I miss my classroom, but not right now. Oh, wow. Okay. And so you've been talking as well about, so you're reading a lot and you said you were trying to do some work on like anti-racism. Yeah. Us, us. uh, So one thing I'm curious about, and I feel like we talked about this a couple of days ago is us as white women and how we play a role in this whole situation of white supremacy and racism. And so how do you, what do you feel like you learned about that or what type of steps do you feel like you're taking to kind of so you and I talked about this earlier 
I like as a teacher, I would have always been told that like, if you want people to succeed, they, you need to give them a rubric of like the steps that they need to complete or like what you're looking for, for them to be successful. So I have always given rubrics for things that I've assigned. Um, and like, I like rubrics. That's like, anytime I have a rubric, I'm always going to get an A because like, I will not turn in anything that doesn't meet every single point. And so with a lot of this anti-racism work, like there is no rubric and a lot of it is left up to you to figure out what to do. And like, while like my intentions were pure when I wanted to become a teacher in like this on the South side of Chicago. And like, I wanted to save my students like that. I wasn't trying to be like a white savior. I really thought that they needed saved. And like, now that I've done more research, like that means that like, I thought that they were less of me less than me and that I was was more than them and could save them and like that's not right and like but like no one told me that and I'm not saying that like I needed to be told that but like there was no rubric that's like okay here's what you have to do to be like a a good ally you know what I mean yeah yeah I think I think it's really challenging because I think a lot of people that do things like maybe like going to teach on the south side like I feel like a lot of it's done with like pure intentions like you just want to help people and you just want to make an impact and like help these children to like achieve better like life outcomes through education but it's such a weighted issue and there's so many layers to understanding how these issues came to be and how we play into them just by being born as and just like existing as white women like you know, I, I done a lot of trips in Africa, um, not mission trips or anything, but just my own research and internships through grad school. But sometimes I look back and I'm like, ah, eh, some of those were a little bit questionable, a uh, little white saviory. Like I was going there because I wanted to learn and educate myself and communicate with different people. But sometimes I took the wrong approach. And you know mm-hmm. what? I think it's, it's important, even if I didn't realize it in the moment, even if you might not have realized um, those thoughts that you had going into teaching, I think it's really important to recognize past behavior and just kind of try to process that and figure out how we can improve to be better people tomorrow. Um, and I feel like now in 2021, it's a very important time to do that. Um, so you've been reading. So what books have you been reading or what kind of things have you been doing? Um, so right now I'm finishing up me and white supremacy. I should have that finished up tomorrow. It's like Mm -hmm. a workbook. So there's 28 days. And then, um, I'm a fast reader though. And I, so I was doing two days every day instead of one. Also it was a library book and they only let you keep them for three weeks. So I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I just read (laughs) the full four weeks. Um, and then it's like set up. So you read like about a little, like a, you read maybe a three or four page thing about a topic and then you answer anywhere between three and nine questions. Um, Mm -hmm. and the questions were thought provoking. It talks a lot about white silence, which is something that I, um, do a lot because sometimes I think if I'm talking about this stuff with my family, it falls on deaf ears, not my mom and dad, more so my extended family. Mm -hmm. Um, so to me, it feels like my time would be more useful to like raise my daughters, um, to understand white supremacy and like understanding differences of people, um, versus like trying to convince someone who like, thinks that the election was stolen and that Antifa took over the Capitol. Like 
it just seems like a waste of time. And so I know that the author like would yell at me and tell me that that's white silence. Um, yeah. Like, like at what point do you, like if someone says one plus one is three and they are adamant, like how long are you going to spend arguing it? Because yeah, I think I'm not going to spend very long. I'm going to say stupid, I'm done. Yeah, I think it's very frustrating. And like people like my grandparents, they are very Catholic, very religious, very conservative. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. But they love Trump. They hate abortions. They love religion, all that jazz. So they voted for Trump and that's fine. But they're 79 and 82 and I love them so much. Am I really going to spend like the last few years of their lives having these like really horrendous conversations and like important conversations, but like horrendous conversations, like basically ruining our relationship before they pass away. Like, I know that that sounds like a horrendous thing to just like ignore, but I think with people like my stepdad, who is a Trump supporter, like he's much more receptive to having conversations and much kinder in the way he approaches politics. My mom my and dad. Yeah, my grandparents, they're not really that way. And so I'm like, I love them to death, but I'm not having political conversations with them because it's not worth it. And I want to enjoy what time I have left with them. So I have a relative like that. And I'm not going to say my relationship with the relative in case someone is listening. Um, but I have a relative that it, like, I can't even discuss it with anymore um, because it's just been taken to a level that was completely inappropriate. And it's just, it just falls on deaf ears. And at what point is it not worth it? And the other yeah. thing that you stuck out that you said that stuck out to me, and I was actually talking to my cousin Chloe about this today, was that you said like your grandparents don't like abortion. I'm pro-choice and I don't like abortion. Like I don't think anybody, and that's like a big thing that's misconstrued. Like nobody is out here chanting for people to get abortions. Like nobody yeah. like yes, let's kill all of like the embryos. No one wants mm -hmm. that. People like, there are people in my life that have gotten them. You said there are people in your life that have gotten mm -hmm. them. Like that should be an option. And like, to me, it just seems like so black and white. Like, has, do people forget like the movie Dirty Dancing? Like that people are just going to do like, get it in an unsafe way. And so I mm -hmm. feel like for me, if you don't want one, then don't get one. But yeah like make it the law of the land yeah I just I don't understand why people have such a such a need to like control the actions of others because I mean in an ideal world like everybody would be super clean and nobody would talk on their phones in public because it's like no one would talk the real thing is I would not, if it was a perfect world no one would talk in stores on FaceTime without headphones that's what I would want mm -hmm. but that's a whole other conversation but yeah, I agree. I'm just like, why, if it, you don't have to do anything. We're not asking you to do anything. And I don't, I genuinely don't think that there's anyone who's had an abortion who has been really excited to get an abortion. It's a really hard choice. It's a really tough decision to make. And it's one that's not ever, I would say, taken lightly. So I'm just like, if it doesn't, I just, I don't understand why I want to do this, but you have to say, I can't, I just, it doesn't make sense. And I wish I had a more I like- I always use the example, like my husband, um, chews tobacco. Mm. I like gross. I tried it one time. Cause I just wanted to know like what it tasted like. I'm like, what's the appeal here? It made me like so sick. I didn't try it to like want to become addicted. I was like, okay, why are you always spitting? I swallowed it. It was so gross. Like, but 
I don't want it to be illegal, like for anybody, like, I'm just going to choose not to do that. And so like, if you don't like abortions, then like, don't get one. But I hope for those people that they're never in a situation because like, I always say, I probably would never get one. And someone was like, well, probably like, yeah, I have two daughters. And if I was going to have a third child, which I would like to in the future. And I found out that their quality of life would be so low or their first year of life, they would be in pain and it would take away from the type of parent I could be to my already existing children. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, I would have to like really contemplate that decision. And I feel like people who are pro-life don't think about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's such a tough issue. And I also just feel like it's one of those issues that people early on become so like aggressive on and are just like, so like, no, this is, this is the right way. And I'm never really going to change my stance on this. So I'm like, okay, is it, it's just hard because I want to have conversations with people. That's why I like doing this. I like having conversations with people because there's things that we disagree on but guess what we're friends and that's fine and we can still have these conversations but I just I don't I just want everyone to get along and I don't know when that will happen again but we'll see yeah I don't know I think I have a lot of hope in like the next generation just because I've been surrounded by them like teaching them I guess for only four years and now I'm raising them so I'm like okay Mm -hmm. maybe we can like find some middle ground I hope by the time that my girls are old enough to vote, we don't have a two-party system. I really hope so too. How old? 17? So like 17 and a half years from now? 18 and 2038. Let's do it. 2038. So it'll be the primary. So their first presidential election will be 2040. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for them. Wow, that's also some, some quick math, some quick education on your part. Yeah, um, she was, and I was a reading a, teacher too. So I, I mean, know I was. I for a second I was going to say she was a math teacher. She was a reading teacher, and she's yeah. still on it. So how? So you feel hopeful with the next generation? How do you feel about politics right now? Do you feel happy? Mess. Like I usually watch the Today Show in the morning, and lately I've just had to turn it off because it's very. And I'm not saying this like a lot of news is biased. I just feel like the media like tells people what they want them to think on both sides because I have family members that watch Fox News and like are convinced that there was election fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it's so negative and everyone's fighting and I just don't, it's just like disheartening. It makes mm-hmm. me not want to get involved in politics and like I, in high school and college did enjoy politics, but now it also feels like a personal attack. Like to be, I'm very much like in the closet, especially where I used to work about um, being a Republican because I'm like, oh, people will definitely like not react well. Like they're gonna think I'm like them. Mm -hmm. Um, Which was also like in a book that I was reading about like how you can considering yourself like one of the good white people is like very harmful. Um, and I've always considered myself that I'm like, oh, I'm not like those white people. I like am the mm-hmm. same one. I'm a good one. Um, but anyway, I just think politics, I think it's also gotten very personal. And I think that Donald Trump started a lot of that of like mm-hmm. Hillary and Lion Ted and then like Pelosi ripping up the, what was that? State of the Union. Oh yeah. That was very dramatic. She's very dramatic. She needs to retire. And so does Mitch yeah. McConnell. So when people I are think, saying like, oh, you're just saying that because you're a Republican, like, 
the average age to retire is 65. So why are people in their 80s? Like when my great grandparents yeah. were in their 80s, they weren't allowed to drive. Yeah, I think it's bizarre. I think I definitely support term limits on both sides. I mean, I think Nan- yeah. Nancy Pelosi has some cool parts of her, but I think she's been in politics for a long time. I also think she's like a little bit performative in the way that she reacts. I'm like, honey, we don't need it to be ripped open. Like we need stimulus checks or like we need like we need people to get along well, in politics. I like, about that because I am fortunate that my income has not been affected with the pandemic because no matter what's going on, people always want to fight about money. Um, so yeah. for listening, Steve is um, a lawyer with my dad. So they're like, people will fight about money, even if there's no money to fight over. Um, <laughs> so, but like the, I'm friends with on Facebook with a lot of the kids' parents that I used to teach in Chicago, because when they found out I was moving away, they wanted to see the girls and stuff. And like a lot of people are really struggling. And so mm-hmm. to just be elected and run on the platform that like you are going to give people stimulus checks and then both sides just not able to come to an agreement. Like at what point is it not about politics? And it's about like, you are elected to serve. And I think that a lot of that has gone into what, what you said about Nancy Pelosi is that both sides are performing and trying to get like, it's almost like they're trying to campaign campaign for the next election. I agree. Yeah. And like very focused on what's happening now. No, we need stimulus checks for people. And if like my sister, for example, because it was based, I want to say on your 2019 tax return or no 2018 tax returns. Mm-hmm. Now I think it'll be your 2019 tax returns. Anyway, she was in grad school. So my parents claimed her as a, a dependent and she is somebody who definitely needed a stimulus check more than my husband mm-hmm. and I, we got one and she didn't get one. Like there are people out there who are really struggling. And I know like the utility companies in Chicago and stuff have said that um, like they're like not shutting things off, but you know, the minute that this pandemic is over, people are going to have 30 days to pay like nine months worth of utility bills. Yeah. Like they're really leaving people high and dry. Yeah. I have to say my mom's not very political and she is like, Every single time I talk to her about the stimulus checks, she is very angry. And so I'm like, Joe Biden, uh, Laura Midkiff is very angry. Please calm her down and give us stimulus yeah. checks. Yeah, it's it's a very complicated situation. And I'm just like, it's money. Like, why do these people not want money? Like, mm-hmm. why don't we want money? Money is also just like not even real. Like, I don't even understand it. Like the whole GameStop thing. I, how does, what is the stock market? What is shorting stocks? What is any of this? Steve can explain it way better than I can, but basically, okay. I read a Twitter thread and it explained it in Taylor Swift terms. I saw this too. Yes. We're going to take this a little differently. So let's say she records like five albums of folklore and she lets Scooter Braun borrow five of them. So then he sells them really cheap, like for $2. And then the people who have them for $2 are raising the price to $5. And then Taylor Swift wants the albums back. So Scooter has to buy the albums back for $5 instead of $2. Mm-hmm. And then it basically screws over Scooter Braun and Taylor Swift. And so to me, I'm like, 
I don't care. Like, I know that that sounds bad, but like these people are hedge funds. Like these are the 1% of the 1%. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know. And then I don't know as much about Robinhood as um, other people. I just know that they like stopped all trading. And like, it's just kind of because Robinhood stole from the rich and gave to the poor. And like, now they're like stopping the poor from trading. Yeah, I, so I actually have a Robinhood account that I closed because I was upset with them. Um, Good for you. Oh, thanks. Um, I mean, I literally didn't have that much in with them either, but um, yeah, they just stopped the trading on those specific stocks, but they didn't, I, I just didn't really understand their explanation or their like reasoning behind it. But I think it's a lot. And I also think that rich people don't need that much money. Like, I mean, like not rich people, like, I don't know, like, I don't, but like, what's his name? Jeff Bezos and uh, Bill Gates and all of these people that have profited like massively off the pandemic. I'm like, how about you fund our next round of stimulus checks and make them each $5,000? Like something that really pissed me off was that the NBA players were paying for the wages of the people who worked at the stadiums and not the owners. And the owners own the team. Like they have way more money then like Kyrie Irving paid for all of the players. I think that's who it was. And if you're a sports fan and I screwed that up, then you can yell at me in my mentions like everybody else always does. <laughs> but um, like, why are they paying for this? And I know NBA players are rich too, but I'm like, the people who like employ them should be paying for it because they can. Yeah, I agree. It's just a hot mess. And this pandemic is really stressful and I'm just excited for it to be over. And I hope- everybody is safe and no one else gets COVID and we can just be fine. How are vaccinations going in Indiana? Do you know? They're going really good. So I signed my grandma up for those of you who don't know on December 7th, my mom's mom passed away from COVID. And the day before that, her dad was admitted to the hospital. And then, um, four days later, my dad's dad died of COVID. So it was like the worst week ever. Um, and my grandpa Howard is still in the hospital. Um, they're hoping to have him released like by the end of next week. So it'll have been two full months, but anyway, um, so when they announced the vaccine for people over 75, my grandma, who's still alive is 76. And so she tried to sign up and you know, old people like, this is why they shouldn't work in politics. She couldn't figure it out. So I had a call and then she's like, will you just do it? So I got her signed up. So she got her first round last week. Um, But Indiana is like really moving. And then my husband's family is from Cincinnati and like they, his mom just was able to sign up. She's a little bit older. Um, And so she was just able to sign up. Like, so they're behind. And I know Illinois, they don't have enough vaccines for people who want them. Um, and, And this is an unpopular opinion. And I was reading more about this because the Indiana teachers are very upset that they are not getting vaccinated. Um, The science says that it is like harming older people at an alarmingly higher rate than it's harming like, cause like if I was still teaching, I'm only 27. So wait, yeah, I'm 27. Okay, sorry. After 25, you just like lose track. (laughs) Um, And so like, if I was teaching and were to get it, uh, it wouldn't affect me nearly as much and the vaccine there's no proof 
that it stops the spread. So I could still be a carrier and pass it to students. And so I know teachers are very upset that they're not getting vaccinated, but that's why, because the vaccine doesn't stop you from asymptomatically spreading it. It's just stopping people from dying, which is why they're mm -hmm. the most vulnerable. And I know yeah. that teachers are very upset about that, but I have to say, I support that. It's, it's a crazy topic. And, you know, you will say one thing and other people will believe other things. Everybody has their perspectives about and it. Eventually, and eventually, I think we all should be vaccinated. I'm just yeah, saying right like now, there. the yeah. limited amount that we have, I think it's the most important to take care of the people who are literally dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very, like literally everything we've talked about today, it's a very complicated issue. So that's fun. I feel like the Republican party has some major revamping to do if they want to keep like young voters like myself, like, because right now there's just a stigma that all of us, like, I don't want to say blow Donald Trump. So you have to edit that part out. Um, there's like a, there's just like this stereotype that all of us think like that we want a politician like Donald Trump. And I don't think that that's true. And so if the Republicans ever want, um, to basically win any type of election ever again, they have to do like major reconstruction within the party. Um, because a lot of people I think are very upset and like, I'm just really surprised more people didn't condemn what happened at the Capitol. And so Steve and I were at dinner in actually in Granger and we were talking about it. And this guy was like, Hey, are you guys talking about the Capitol? What happened at the Capitol? And we were like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, check out this video of me scaling the wall. This was like Wednesday. Cause this, it happened on Monday. I'm pretty sure. I'm like, wait, you were there. He's like, yeah, I just drove into town. Pretty cool. Huh? And I'm like, if this guy had been eavesdropping maybe 30 seconds longer, he would have heard me call them all dumbasses. Like, what was your intent? I just, I don't understand a lot of the justification. And I also think that social media is fucking scary. Well, I think not social media caused us to be more vocal about how divided we are. I think we've always I been agree. segregated. I think the country is still segregated. Um, and I was actually, I'm reading Michelle Obama's memoir right now. And she was talking about that too, like in Chicago. Mm -hmm. But social media makes it louder that everything is different. And because when you aren't on social media, you really are just kind of confined to the area that you live in, which is That's why true. my political beliefs were so, um, so strictly white and like Republican. Mm. Um, and there was something I was going to say about the division. And I'm not trying to blame the Black Lives Matter movement for what happened at the Capitol. There's no correlation. Like those people acted crazy and on rage and on false claims. Mm -hmm. I think because there are movements like BLM that have destroyed cities that these people thought what they were doing was okay and it was no different. And like, I will always support like protesting and like the first amendment, but like, I don't support like rioting and like breaking things. And like, for an example, I know someone who was arrested at a BLM movement who isn't into politics, isn't black and stole a pair of shoes. 
and then got arrested for looting. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, you are giving it. It's you're giving a bad name to the movement. Mm -hmm. And I support black matter. Yeah. So I just feel like both sides need to cut the bullshit and like focus on what they want because like the Mm -hmm. looting isn't going to get you anywhere, and storming the Capitol is going to get you in jail. No, I agree. I think, well, I think there was a lot of people, especially in the summer that were going to these like rallies and protests and were using it as an excuse to do these rioting, looting things. And that happens I mean, with anything. It happened during Hurricane yeah. Katrina. I remember as oh, a yeah, kid totally. watching videos of people hauling TVs out of Walmart. Like, yeah, you're always going to have yeah. bad apples. Yeah, it totally happens. I will say the only thing is I, I don't enjoy violence. I don't really like condone it, but I will say in my personal opinion, it does frustrate me that people, especially people that were like really condemning rioting and loot or like rioting. I don't think there should be violence. I don't think people should be like hitting each other. That's very dramatic in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but looting, I'm like, why are we valuing? I don't think it's right, but why are we valuing material possessions over human lives? Like, I know that it doesn't, they're not like, it's just a very hard, it's, I, I can't explain myself well, but I'm just like, why are you pissed off that this huge corporation got shit stolen from them, but you're not pissed off that this person got killed for like doing nothing or like, mm-hmm. like George Floyd got killed for writing a potentially like false check or something. I'm like, I'm like, do you know how much stupid shit I do? And I haven't been killed. Like if I was, if I was a person of color, I would have gone to jail multiple times, I feel like by now. Oh, and like, and people always say like, well, if you just follow the law, you won't go to jail. Okay, in Granger, there are no police officers. So like when my friends and I were driving around, probably doing illegal things, I don't know if my mom's going to listen to this, but in a car, then there was no police to pull us over and ask what we were doing. And like, no one to like slap you on the wrist. It's just, or if they do, it's literally like, right it's okay just be safe yeah and so I have and I feel like in Chicago and I use Chicago as an example a lot because I lived and worked there for three years mm-hmm. but like there are police everywhere and so like those kids are doing the same thing that us kids were doing in Granger they're just getting caught for it and also mm-hmm. the police um reaction to looting at BLM protests versus the Capitol is was completely different and you're ignorant if you don't see that I agree I couldn't agree more I just it's a very complicated time and I feel like the most important thing we can do is what you're doing is like educating yourself Mm -hmm. trying to consider the perspectives of other doing the work and having these conversations because I think they're weird and I think especially as white women I sometimes I feel a little anxious having conversations like this because I'm like who am I to be leading a discussion like this. I'm another fucking white woman. Like, mm-hmm. what do I know? But I mean, I think if, I think it's would be slightly like white silence if we didn't have these. And I think there's still so much work both of us need to do. And that's right. daunting, but important, very important. Yeah. And I also hope in the future, and I've done this before when I like had time, but this past election, I just, it was just a lot. Um, Cause I had just had babies and anyway, um, but like a goal of mine in the future is to not vote straight ticket. Like I want to vote like 
it gets really hard because there's like some positions that like you're just like wait what is this yeah like to go through and like actually know the candidate that I'm voting for Mm -hmm. and not just like pushing a button and being like okay 30 seconds in and out you know what I mean no I think that's awesome I think that's very powerful as well to recognize and make a thing for a second though I thought you were going to say my goal is to not vote and I was like this is literally pointless why did we just have this entire conversation you're not going to vote no I will always good Um, very good and then just for anyone listening like I know that there's a certain like type of person that you associate with like um people who are republicans or people who lean conservative and like not all of us are pro-life weirdos not all of us are against same-sex marriage like I want my friend to marry whoever um they choose to marry and who am I to say that they can't so what would what would I say we're not homophobes there are some of us that are pro-choice um some of us can support like some of us do support the Black Lives Matter movement um I don't know I think that there are a lot of people who are more fluid on the political spectrum than a lot of people would want to believe. Like Steve and I vote differently and we agree on pretty much everything. Yeah. Vote. Don't make assumptions about people and just like get to know people and have these conversations Mm because I feel like that's how we learn and grow. And I think even though maybe neither of us will ever be like politicians or president someday, it's still good to talk with your fellow man and women and just like get to know them and understand kind of what makes them them especially politically so this was definitely a great conversation and I'm so happy you came on yeah thank you for having me if you ever want me yes future let me know honestly I feel like people are gonna enjoy you so I was like god maybe you'll be like my co-host someday I feel like people (laughs) would like love you just before my kids start to crawl because then my life will be over Oh, that's true. No, you'll literally be on a podcast episode, like with a blue, like with your AirPods in, just like talking, uh-huh. exactly. picking up puke and making food and all of that stuff. She is a mom and she's a superstar. Thank you so, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, thank you. I'm so happy to have you. Yeah, of course.